going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. What I love about this show is exposing our listeners to a variety of opinions and thoughts, especially from ordinary people like Sarah Michelle. Her Facebook post aimed at the Prime Minister about oil and construction workers has gone viral. We'll chat with her among many other topics on the show, including something new and fun from producer Justin Guild here on the Calgary Today podcast. Like I said yesterday, we had a great discussion with Karen Gammy about her social media post, which basically said, hey, keep our families in mind when you decide to go off on oil field workers and how they're rig pigs and all the the uh, nice terms, I guess we'll call them that, that, uh, that tend to follow around our oil field workers because there's families behind a lot of those workers. And another post that drew a lot of attention, hundreds if not thousands of likes and shares on Facebook, came courtesy of Sarah Michelle from Grand Prairie. And I'm going to read it to you, uh, and then we're going to chat with Sarah about this post. So here goes. Dear Justin Trudeau, I am a 26-year-old waitress who worked in one of the biggest oil field hubs in Alberta, Grand Prairie. I worked in a pub during the evenings. We were open seven days a week. Pretty much every night we were packed with these construction workers and oil field low lives. You want to know what kind of social impact they had on me? I am a female in this social setting you are referring to, after all. Because of these men, I was able to go grocery shopping and get everything on my list. I didn't have to stand at the checkout line and figure out what to put back. I was able to fill up my tank at the gas station, not just $20 to get by. I was able to live comfortably in an apartment knowing my bills were paid on time and I wouldn't have to worry about choosing between the water or electric bill. I was one of the waitresses, cooks, drivers, hotels, grocery stores, local business owners, etc. who are impacted by these men every day. When these men leave, we have to cut staff. We have to tell someone they can't help support their families. They have to tell their kids they can't afford extracurricular activities such as hockey, soccer, etc., etc. Local business owners are then forced to close their doors. Shame on you for demonizing these men and women who take time away from their families to provide for them. For working 12-plus hour days only to get to a hotel room at night hoping to catch their kids before bedtime for a little FaceTime. We are not all cut out for white-collar office jobs. They love what they do. They love getting their hands dirty. The job satisfaction is bar none. These men do this so that their families are taken care of and in turn that waitresses like me can do the same. I do hope you read this so you know firsthand what kind of social impact these construction workers have on us women in rural areas. Oh, and by the way, those construction workers were also some of the most polite and well-mannered customers I serve. Sincerely, Sarah Michelle, Grand Prairie, Alberta. Sarah Michelle joins us on the program now. Thanks so much for uh, the time today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. What prompted you to write this post? Um, Well, when I saw Trudeau's speech about uh, the G20 summit, I was a little taken back and I really wanted to try to understand what he was talking about. Like, it really came off as an insult to the male construction workers that are working out there. And those male construction workers are my, my father, my brothers, my co-workers. I worked oil field myself before I went into waitressing. Like I know these guys and 
it just really kind of gave off a predator sense about them. And I thought to myself, well, I'm a female in this little setting that he is seems to be talking about. So I want to let him know what my firsthand account has been as a um, female in this rural setting surrounded by these construction and oil field workers. So that's why I made the post. Have you been surprised by the reaction in terms of it going viral and catching the attention of, you know, not just a lot of people, but even politicians? Absolutely floored by it. I honestly, when I posted it, I thought, eh, maybe I'll get like, I don't know, five or ten likes, maybe 20 at tops. But I I was floored today when I finally got my Facebook to load up again. Uh, It's over 40,000 shares and likes, and I can't keep up with the comments. And it's just, I'm... I'm pretty floored by it. I'm very humbled to hear that people are listening to what the impact has been from construction workers to a waitress. And I'm just one of the many facets of that makes up that community uh, that he's bringing down, honestly, is what the vibe has been for me. Is that one of the keys maybe in, and in talking with yourself and talking with another young lady who was in, in a similar situation as you in the last couple of days is maybe it is time for real Albertans to start spreading the word rather than uh, letting the politicians try to uh, to guide the narrative? Absolutely. I think that these politicians and Sometimes I think, you know, no offense to them, but they seem to be out of touch with our reality. This is our reality. We are, like I said in my post, we're not all cut out to be white collars. There needs to be a blue collar sector because there needs to be an electrician that comes and fixes something, uh, uh, roofers that come and fix your house. And honestly, like Trudeau, did you not talk to any of the construction workers that were in your little uh, prime minister house when they did all the renovations? Like these guys need to be in our communities we need them so why are you making them predators of some sort on the flip side and i know we got a couple of comments about it yesterday when we brought this topic up is um the i know the the term rig pig kind of stings a little bit for some people but is it maybe uh the is that one of the challenges that maybe the industry does face is having to maybe fight that um perception maybe that you know it's just a bunch of guys who do guy things yeah, there is a lot of stigma around the, the whole rig, bit, rig pig and wrench gronk and wrench monkey. Like, you, you can come up with a million different stereotypical names for them. But honestly, these guys, yeah, it takes a lot of work. It's uh, a lot of physical, mental strain on them. And, yeah, they blow off a little steam by having a couple beers at my pub every night. But they are, at the core, one of the, some of the most kindest, um, most well-behaved and well-mannered people that I deal with on a daily basis on some of my most uh, root customers are actually um, people that are in white-collar kind of jobs. It's just like they have something more approved. When you're out on the rig and you're working hard like that, it humbles you. You have to do the dirtiest jobs, and it's very humbling to be in. So I think that as much as there's a stigma about you know, being a rig pig, a dirty gronk, and, oh, you got the lifted truck with the latest accessories. You know what? This is how, this is what these guys work for. Let them spend their money on what they want. But at the end of the day, they still tip me very well, and they still apologize if they bring mud into the restaurant with them. But they are still one of the most well-mannered and polite people I work with. 
If you were to be sitting face to face with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau or any other politician who thinks that uh, the uh, call it the oil sands is a slight on the country or that kind of thing, or they 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 feel like we're the the industry is lesser than them, um, what would you say to them? Um, I would definitely point out that compared to where we are currently importing our oil from, like such as Saudi Arabia, we have much more safer work environments for our uh, male and female construction workers that are uh, in there pulling that oil out of the ground. And we have some of the top safety standards set out across the board when it comes to working in in these environments. And we also, um, by doing so, we support uh, a nation and a community that has women and feminism, which is what the the drum they love to beat is the feminist drum. I know a lot of female trade women out there that are out there working alongside them guys. So why are you not supporting your own backyard and looking elsewhere for our oil and going to places where they do not allow gender equality? They do not allow gay marriage. They do not allow you to be who you are. You're beaten, stoned, and killed for that. Whereas here in Canada... We encourage women to go out into the trades. We have trades women's programs set up for that. We encourage women to um, do what they want, men to do what they want. Like, I don't understand why we would support and um, encourage by buying foreign oil and just leaving us here in your own backyard to, to just mold over. I don't think it's fair and I don't think it's unjust. And I would like to know why he thinks that's acceptable. Be a great question to ask if we could ever get the Prime Minister on. Uh, but in the meantime, we do have someone who I'm sure a few people will be saying, Sarah for Prime Minister. Uh, but Sarah, <laughs> thank you so much for the time and uh, for the insight into your post. It was very well written. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys taking your time to ask a little waitress what her opinion is. Great chat there with Sarah Michelle, the Grand Prairie waitress who posted that. It wasn't super lengthy, but it was very to the point Topic on Facebook as Justin Trudeau takes some of the uh, hits following. uh, It was a conversation piece on the international stage where it was sort of alluded to the idea that there he, he started playing gender politics over construction workers and oil field and it, it, it just seemed that I watched the whole thing and I felt like it was out of place. And maybe I read too much into it at the time, but it just in terms of trying to get the economy going again, particularly here in Alberta. And I know that that wasn't the focal point of the discussion, but it just seemed as though it was very tone deaf, which as has been highlighted over the last couple of days, there's been a lot of tone deafness going on. Uh, in politics lately and in particular around this issue and I keep beating the same mallet over the drum over and over and over again but it amazes me to no end is that we still have no emergency session in the the federal house of commons saying hey how do we repair this and Fascinating to, to uh, chat with Karen McPherson from the Alberta Party. Yesterday, they introduced their first piece of proposed legislation, private members bill, surrounding putting together a task force to try to help uh, Alberta's 
jobless or uh, job hindered people. Um, and it just feels like we're we're playing catch up right now. At least maybe maybe that's just I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm understating it, but especially from the energy industry perspective, there hasn't been a lot of a hand up at all. There's been a lot of different industries that are being that are are doing fairly well, but not to the extent that we need to keep our our engines running, particularly here in Alberta with our economy and particularly federally, as was noted by a few people. Here's Quebec saying, hey, we've got a 11 or 17 billion dollar surplus. Well, yeah, where would you be if the, the transfer payment and I get it? Don't even get me started on the whole, the, the transfer payments. I'm just saying the money is still going there. So that being said, let's head to the phone lines for a couple of minutes here, 403-974-8255. Lloyd, uh, what's on your mind, my friend? Hey, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, this is pretty consistent with Justin Trudeau. On the international stage, he is very much self-aggrandizing. He's playing to the... Uh, international market, I guess, to his UN aspirations. Um, back here at home, like, you know, we're kind of like the dirty little cousins out here in Alberta. Eh? It's kind of feeling that way. Like, it'd be nice to have a little bit of a, a help once in a while out here instead of being, and it was interesting. I, I saw a, a Twitter post where somebody said, uh, here's Albertans all whining again. And I'm sitting there going, we're whining in a sense because nobody's coming to help despite the fact that we've always been there to help you, too. Well, there's been $220 billion that were transferred out of this province in the last 10 years to the betterment of the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. When oil was 100 bucks a barrel and stuff, they had no problem taking the money. That's one of the biggest things underlying, and I'm an older man. I was uh, uh, a tradesman in the late 70s, early 80s, and beginning my career. Right. And uh, I was told I would work around Petroleum Alley, uh, around Edmonton there on the refineries and stuff right. for my entire career. And that went away real quick in 1980. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen this more than once. And history's repeating itself. Yeah, and we're always <laughs> demonized. The guys that pay the bills, we're just hardworking guys. Just trying your best. Lloyd, appreciate the phone call. We're up against the clock, unfortunately, but uh, it's certainly still something we're going to be keeping uh, close tabs on and continue to, to raise, raise the flag about. And again, a big thank you to uh, to Sarah and, and to uh, Karen as well for sharing their stories uh, here on Calgary Today. I knew the whole short-term rental property idea was a big one, but when Aurelio said there are more than 3,300 short-term listings in Calgary right now, I kind of had to stop in my path a little bit. I had no idea that it had gained that much steam. Now, unfortunately, a couple of bad eggs seem to have ruined the bunch, which is why Councillor Ward Sutherland decided to ask city administration to come back with some thoughts on how to maybe regulate it or not regulate it, depending on what the best practices were. 
To get more on today's uh, committee meeting, we're joined now by Councillor Sutherland. Uh, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Joe. You were the one who asked for the report initially. Did you get some of the answers that you were hoping to get? Absolutely. I have to say this is one of the best scoping reports I've seen for a, a long time. It's taken a whole year, and there's been a lot of stakeholder engagement. I, I think the thing to note, Joe, that's really, really important is the mandate of this report was to say, we don't want to over-regulate. We want to make it very simple and cost-effective for everybody. So um, today was just kind of like the first step, and uh, it'll still proceed to uh, fine-tune the final uh, answer. And what's really important is is we need a Calgarian solution. And some of the best practices that they are calling best practices in other cities are not working, and we've got to make sure we do it right and take our time and make sure we do it right the first time. You heard from a lot of different groups today providing some uh, opinions from Calgarians to rental operators, hotel operators. Do you think you've been able to wrap your head around uh, what everyone is saying and hopefully be able to come up with a, a bit of a compromise at the end of the day? Uh, it was interesting today. I, th- I think so. I think we can create a balance because uh, the majority of all the people that came forward said they actually supported the scoping report and they wanted to get into the details just to make sure it's balanced and fair and that's our next phase so it's going to be you know it's a challenge pleasing all the different businesses but overall i think there is a common solution that we can do that uh they'll end up where everybody says well you know what we can agree to disagree but we think it's fair for everybody and let's move forward what has been the response from Calgarians in your ward since this was brought up initially by you? And then beyond that, what have the concerns been? Well, it started, of course, with the different platforms in the, in the, in the burbs and uh, where people were renting out you know, five rooms a night and people were parking uh, boats on lawns and partings happening and all that kind of stuff. And we discovered that. You know, we didn't really have any bylaws to deal with a lot of the issues and to have some teeth in it. Plus, we realized that uh, this platform, uh, uh, B&B and all the different ones, is uh, the future. And uh, we have to deal with it. Uh, we've gone from, which the report has said, is basically from about, you know, 60 complaints to 160 now. And, uh, you know, I like to say is that we're all in favor of this this type of business it's just uh you know these negative ones end up giving that impression that it's bad everywhere and that's not necessarily the case and if we do this type of uh limited uh regulation that we can help uh, our neighbors solve the problems because currently under their current regulations we can't yeah i was gonna say i mean from judging from everybody i've talked to and, and i'm of the age demographic that it seems like everybody takes out an airbnb once in a while it, it seems like it, it's a few bad eggs that seem to ruin the bunch and how as a council can you sort of help the business grow while also making sure that re- residents who are living in those homes uh nearby aren't being negative negatively impacted and allowing for that negative uh, conversation to continue? Well, we're taking the kind of the TNC uh, approach is less regulations is a good thing. And if we simply do a tiered business license, then we have the authority to deal with bad apples Mm -hmm. and we don't want to over-regulate. So that's kind of really the mandate. And, uh, you know, we want neighbors to be happy, but we also 
want the ability for people to use the platforms and uh you know we don't want to interfere too much it's really not our business other than to make sure it's safe and if there's neighbor issues we can deal with it are there parallels to be drawn between this kind of living space versus say uber and the and the processes that have gone behind uh, behind both those processes absolutely and and in fact i i, I need to congratulate you know airbnb because they've been very proactive to to sit down with the city and help with some of these policies to say you know how can we help how can we be a good business to work together and keep uh, less regulations out so we can self-regulate and we ensure things that are happening that's kind of really the model that we want to do we just want to make sure it's safe and the second thing is deal with neighbors and other than that we don't want to be involved in and to be honest we shouldn't be so we want to let the market be what it what it is with uh, the least amount of restrictions as possible. Do we have an idea as to the timelines when some of these rules might be brought before council and, and eventually uh, possibly be uh, enacted down the road? I'm hoping uh, the next stage again is uh, to get into the details of the stakeholders. So I'm hoping by Q2 of uh, 2019, just before the stampede, um, we can have this wrapped up and proceed to whatever the decisions are made. Uh, they made a really good comment today is, you know, I was at the Great Cup and, uh, in Edmonton, and they said that was their uh, biggest week ever for the platform. And we're going to be hosting the Great Cup coming in 2019. And again, you know, so you have all this different advertising that's helping out to create business. And, and I think there should be some sharing in that when it comes to tourism. It'll definitely be one we'll keep an eye on. Uh, Ward 1 Councillor Ward Sutherland, thank you so much for the time today. You're welcome, Joe. Have a great day. At the Marlboro Mall in Calgary, a very special visitor made an appearance. That's right, the man in the big red suit, Chris Kringle, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. And of course, Santa would not be anywhere without his helpers. Except today, instead of elves, it was the officers and auxiliaries of the Calgary Police Service. 27 junior high students were chosen based on need, academic achievement, sports achievement, or volunteering, basically making a positive community impact. The students each get a bag of gifts and a $200 gift card to spend on anything they like. Welcome to all the junior high school students that are here today. This is your day and everything has been put on for you. I'll be calling each student's name and the name of a Calgary police officer that has been paired up with you. Some groups will also have a CPS auxiliary with you. When your name is called, if the officer, student and auxiliary could please come up to the front and receive your Christmas gift bag and stocking. Once you have your gifts, you're free to hit the mall and shop. Constable Tony Hughes emceed the event. It's uh, the 13th annual cop shop. It's a collaboration between the Marlborough Mall and the Calgary Police Service. Three grade nine students are chosen from each of the uh, nine junior highs in the Forest Lawn area. And it's a way for, the students are chosen by the schools and they're chosen for work they may have put in throughout the year for maybe some volunteer work they've done for academic achievement, for sporting achievement. And it's a way to 
reward them for the effort they've put in throughout that year. Constable Hughes says it's a great way to get officers of the CPS out into the public. Yes, so it's a way for them to get uh, to meet a police officer. I mean, we have some of the police officers in schools, but maybe these, these children haven't met a police officer before. They haven't had uh, a personal interaction with them. So today they can spend a couple of hours with them. They can have coffee with them. They can shop together. They can chat about their lives and they can have lunch and it's a chance for the children to find out that police officers are just the same as their brother, sister, mother or father. They still are just working men and women. The students made their lists. Check like that one and that one. That one. Don't look for a wallet. Accompanied by Constable Carla May Blight and Auxiliary Haley Ashton, Bailey was shopping mostly for her family members. Um, planning on getting my grandma reading socks and probably a book. Some students were frugal and carefully planned their spree, like Dylan, accompanied by Constable James Dory. I've gotten a bunch of sweets for my friends, a scarf for my friend, and a video game. We got a philanthropist here. She's, she's looking after all her friends, and, and yeah, it's nice. Other students knew exactly what they wanted and spent it all in one spot, like Zolan, accompanied by Constable John McKenzie. Zolan's family likes games. Like everyone in my family is a gamer. And I know my brother wants Bendy in the ink machine, so I got him that. I was originally going to get a Mario Party, so I still got that for me, my dad, and him to all play together. And then I got Red Dead 2 because my dad and his friend have it, and I kind of wanted to play it. In some cases, it was difficult to get the students to shop for themselves versus shopping for others. Grandpa? Okay, now what about yourself? Uh, gloves? <laughs> you don't know? Is there something like a purse or a... Something you've always wanted to get yourself? I don't know. Yeah? <laughs> There's a lot of things, but... Some of the officers were new to Cop Shop, like Constable McKenzie. This is my first year doing it. It, it is, yeah. It's excellent, yeah, it's awesome. I used to work in the mall a long time ago, so it brings back memories. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> but many were old hats at this. My name is Carla Mae Blight, and I've been doing this for 10 years. What do you like about the event? Uh, I love that we can go out with these kids who've worked so hard throughout the, um, this first part of the year and have shown and proven to the, not only to others but to themselves that, um, that they, they possess a character and uh, even an empowerment that they can do something and that they get rewarded uh, for something that they do on a positive note. And so I think it's really important for these kids to know that. For Calgary Today from the Marlboro Mall, I'm Justin Gilt. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.